0: Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID 19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Dr. Isha Desai, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Marios Lucas, Dean of the St. George University School of Medicine. In his 15 years at SGU, he's also been Dean of Basic Sciences, Dean of Research, and a professor and the Chair of the Department of Anatomical Sciences. Prior to joining SGU, Dr. Lucas taught anatomy, histology, and radiology at Harvard Medical School's Department of Education and Development. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Uh, Good to see you, Rishi.
0: So maybe just to start out, to help our guests get to know you, do you mind just kind of backing up and telling us a little bit about kind of your story and what got you first interested in medicine and and specifically anatomy?
1: Yeah, so (laughs) long time ago, as the song says, long, long time ago. (laughs) I, I was always interested in medicine. So I joined uh, Warsaw Medical School, specifically 1994. And I finished medicine. I, I was very interested also on in research. I was very interested on that, that aspect also of medicine. So at the same time, I did a PhD. So I finished with an MD-PhD. Anatomy again and pathology was my main interest back then. So I did um, extensive research. And then through that pathway of both uh, medicine and research, I ended up doing uh, mainly academics, teaching, uh, and research. So it was a, a long journey along uh, many different countries, uh, very fulfilling, obviously. But it was something that I, always I was interested in searching and uh, developing new knowledge. I think that was one of my interests from very very early on, as a kid. Even that was something that. Um, intrigued me and I wanted really to take the step further. Uh, As far as for the anatomy was my first exposure to medical school. And um, there were a lot of interesting things going on. And uh, with the years, we obviously we became very serious. We started doing serious research. And our main um, focus was to create and develop new surgical techniques that improves the current ones or create brand new ones that solve um, medical problems that uh, we didn't have, or we don't have a good good approach to them. So myself and a group of other people with different universities, and here in St. George University, we collaborate, and we're developing a lot of new surgical anatomy techniques. Actually, many surgical techniques that is based on the anatomy knowledge. Uh, So that's our main focus. And of course, uh, through that involvement in anatomy, I became also the president of the American Association of Clinical Anatomists a couple of years ago. Uh, So really vested in uh, anatomy. We're writing chapters for the big grace anatomy, uh, have several books in anatomy and so on.
0: You know, every um, medical student and many other health science students, uh, kind of introduction to clinical medicine is uh, when they go to school, they learn about anatomy. It's kind of like a roadmap to the human body. It can be very daunting right like very challenging to kind of tackle all the different nomenclature the the pathways it can be like learning a new language and that can often be a scary experience i'm just curious like as you've kind of suggested that has become a big cornerstone of your life what do you think that a lot of students get wrong about how they approach anatomy kind of maybe psychologically or emotionally so that currently they're feeling very scared and daunted but how ought they to feel i suppose
1: yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm, obviously, because typically anatomy, biochemistry, they are the first subjects that the student will uh, will be exposed in medical school. And um, I think general in medical education, one of the things is that is lacking, and I think you do a great job as, as a company and you're helping a lot on that aspect, is that many students and many faculty at the same time, or even clinicians, they don't really know how to study i think one of the issues in medical education nowadays is um, what's the most appropriate way to study and is what's the most appropriate way to study for the individual i mean many times we we try to put every everything together you know as one uh, shoe fits all but it's not exactly like that there's different variations so till the students they get accustomed to find their own way there is a transition period during that transition period obviously there are some difficulties again with the nomenclature with so on and so forth but overall i think sometimes it's also the right passage i mean when i went to medical school obviously my anatomy was not an easy subject i had to go through that transition and after a while you know it um, it becomes part of you i mean it's it's an impossible to be a physician and not being able to speak the language of medicine which really the language of medicine is the anatomy
0: that makes a lot of sense and, and so you got kind of deep into medicine. It sounds like you have a deep passion for anatomy and many other topics as well. And then you went into kind of the administrative track. And so I'm just curious, like what, what led to that change in your career and what appealed to you about being a, a leader in healthcare?
1: Yeah, it was an interesting passage because, you know, being part of the um, deep academics means a lot of research, a lot of teaching, certain opportunities they arose. One of them was to become the chair of the Department of Anatomical Sciences here at St. George University. So after being the chair, um, the next step is, for most people, to continue that trajectory, to go into more administrative positions. So certain things I had to keep, certain things I had to give away. So obviously, my teaching responsibilities had to get less and less and less. Uh, I kept my research as much as I could, obviously. So I still have a lab, I still have postdocs that are running it. However, my, my teaching has been less. And then, you know, I became an assistant dean for basic sciences. Then um, the next step was I became a dean of research. And after that, became the dean of uh, basic sciences for about six years. And the dean of basic sciences means that I'm a, a responsible administratively for the first two years of medical school. And last year in January, became the dean of the entire medical school, which means now I'm responsible for the entire school. So, again... Uh, I never saw the administration as a job or, I mean, I always had a vision and and a mission to make it effective for the students, effective for the faculty. So it's a vehicle how to make the situation or how to make the life of everybody better. And by making the life better means how the students, they can learn the materials more efficient, how they can become better doctors, which eventually improves healthcare. I think that's the whole thing that administration can do versus myself just teaching one subject. I mean, here we, we're thinking far more globally. we think thinking far more three-dimensionally. Uh, as we say, we see the tree and we see the forest and we see multiple forests. It's a far more complex uh, way of thinking. Being the dean uh, and has a certain complexity, which, again, it's part of my, as I said before, uh, part of the research. I, w- I always would like to create new knowledge and new Outcomes out of uh, certain uh, positions in my life.
0: So I, I'm curious because you, you sit in this very unique spot, you know, to have you uh, share with me how you see Saint George University Med School being uh, different. What are the things that you stress, emphasize? What are the things that during your tenure and maybe in the years to come you'd like to see more of? You know, any of those kinds of features that set it apart as a school?
1: Yeah, SGU has uh, has some. Um... Important, if you want, history or uh, some important tradition here. Some of the facts that we have seen again and again, it's that for the last decade, I would say, uh, we are the largest source of uh, doctors in the United States uh, healthcare system. I think that's, that's an important fact. It's who we are. We're we really providing an important um, help and an important uh, element to the U.S. healthcare system. And I remember that since I was a medical student that always the U.S. had the doctor shortage, shortage in certain um, areas, especially primary care providers. That's a couple of the facts that that existed and they will still exist. Um, you know, the aging of population, also the aging of the doctor uh, Workforce; those are also important. So, our school, my school, Saint George University, it has a very important mission and vision, which is to provide or to be an international hub for the development of uh, primary care providers. We train our students to be primary care doctors and fill that gap, that very, very important gap. There are many studies, there are many talks about how to tackle that problem. But the schools, the medical schools, they need to be the ones also that they help to bridge that gap by providing a medical education that is completely geared to address that issue. Uh, It would be very, very hard if we as a school, we didn't talk about the issue of primary care. But this is something that our school primarily does, and I think we are doing a great job and the data speaks for itself i mean last year year before we had over 900 students that they matched in uh, mostly primary care specialties and as i said you know the last decade we're the number one provider of um, doctors in the us so that all those things i'm very proud of it and, and and i'm looking to continue in that trajectory and address that issue not only in the united states but also internationally also in other countries
0: That strikes home for me. When I did residency, our program was very, very focused on zebras, not horses. And so there were some residents in our program that actually dropped out and went elsewhere for their training, their residency training, because they felt they were not getting a good primary care training. And so I'm curious, based on what you said, what are some specific examples of choices you've had to make as a university to help promote primary care training, to help emphasize it? Like what are help me understand, like from your vantage point, like what's a classic decision that you had to make where you could have gone either way, Uh, reasonable people would go either way, but you chose to go A versus B to help promote this kind of primary care ethos. So
1: first of all, uh, our basic sciences, they're located outside of the United States. They're located in a great island in a great nation of Grenada. So a student by definition, when they start medical school with us is getting exposed to a different country a different culture they're away from home, and they're exposed to a different healthcare system. You know, other schools, for example, they will try to, during the summer breaks, to say to their students, go and get some exposure to other healthcare systems and then come back and see how everything works and uh, get that experience. Our system and our program is built up on living in an island uh, that is far from home for um, the majority of our students. And they have to adapt. They have to be resilient. They have to work with different cultures and different um, ethnicities, religions. Um, That whole diversity is really who we are. And not only diversity between us, but also living in a very diverse location, which is outside of our home, and home means our own country. So that, by definition, gives the students that, that first kick that this school is really for primary care. The same exposure that the students are getting in the island of Grenada, I mean, their clinical exposure. Again, it's in a very primary care setting and they have different weekends on uh, diabetes day, high blood pressure day, and so on and so forth. So I think those are some of the elements we have done. Now, obviously the curriculum is built in a specific uh, way, which is far more technical. But I think our identity of being a school outside of the United States, right, and producing or developing doctors that uh, they're going to serve the primary care, it gives them that advantage that they lived outside and they're able to be exposed on conditions that they fit primary care. That's the hallmark.
0: That's awesome and, and very specific, and I can totally understand that now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I can give you also a technical example, which is also very interesting. Yeah. So for example, our curriculum 10 years ago introduced uh, very, very strongly the use of ultrasound. We took the opportunity 10 years ago because we had um, a big anatomy convention uh, here in the island. The American Association of Clinical Anatomists uh, National Meeting took place in Grenada. So the program back then, it was developing with the ultrasounds, and we took the decision to really invest on teaching our students with ultrasounds. So the ultrasound teaching in our curriculum is geared towards primary care. That's a very, very important tool that I think every physician, every primary care physician should have. So we're teaching ultrasound in our students all the way from day one till they finish basic sciences, and at the end of basic sciences, they're getting POCUs certified. Again, the vision for that, and, and I'm going a little bit to more technical details. Is, I love it.
0: No, no, please continue.
1: Yeah, it's specifically to address that aspect. You're going to become a primary care physician. What type of tools you're going to have in your hand to address the different issues you're going to see in the best possible way and improve the health care you're providing to your patients especially if you're in areas that you know the hospital is far or a very specialized center is quite far can you at least make some initial diagnosis can at least establish a picture and have a better picture of what your patient needs and so on
0: yeah that that's awesome i mean i'm i'm a huge proponent of everyone being taught ultrasound the same way we we teach how to use a stethoscope and so exactly. it's such a basic skill nowadays that if you haven't learned it it's it's a shame I'm curious, like, why, why do you think other schools, I mean, I'm glad you used that example because that's very relatable. Why do you think other schools don't run to that kind of curriculum? I mean, it seems to me that, like, learning ultrasound is good for a generalist, a specialist. Everyone ought to know how to do that. You know, it's just such a basic skill nowadays. And I'm curious, like, what sort of feedback you hear from your other colleagues, your other deans?
1: That's a, that's a very interesting question. So the curriculum, let's say, it's set. It has so many hours... So whatever you need to introduce, something else needs to come out. And of course, uh, nobody wants to take something that belongs to them. The physiologist, the anatomist, nobody wants to do that. We were, I think here in SUU, I'm very proud to say that we have amazing faculty in all disciplines there are no egos, everybody's playing for the team, which is a little bit rare to see on academics, but we're really proud, I'm personally really proud to be part of the faculty here. So the anatomists changed their their course from um, a pure dissection to a section course. So their hours liberated, and those hours were given at the beginning to teach ultrasound together with anatomy. So for example, we would see a dissected forearm or a dissected arm, in the lab, we'll have the lecture, the small groups, and then we're going to have another lab with standardized patients and try to identify the same anatomy on ultrasound. The students, they loved it. The faculty, they loved it. So the next step was the physiologist they followed that they would like to also show certain things in the heart and the lungs. That's awesome. That make the knowledge transfer much easier. And then the clinical skills and so on and so forth. So then it became kind of, this is who we are. So we had the stethoscope, we would hear the heart, we'll say that somebody had a mitral regurgitation. All right, let's put the ultrasound and let's see what really looks like and let's measure and so on and so forth. So many things, they made sense. And uh, many pathologies, they made sense because you can visualize it. You start looking, you start identifying And because in Grenada, we have a lot of standardized patients, we do everything on standardized patients. We're not particularly like when students do it one to another. So we have taken that out of the equation and everything happens on standardized patients. By definition now, the student needs to introduce themselves. So it becomes very good um, interview skills. They have to explain what they plan to do. They're properly dressed, uh, they're properly addressing the standardized patient. So it really simulates now uh, real life scenarios. So it, it again improves the education of the student tremendously in a very short period of time. The learning curve is really acute and very high when we're talking about uh, learning and makes it fun. I mean, it, it's a very interesting tool. I mean, somebody can really visualize things that. When you're talking to a patient, it's a little bit abstract. When you're talking about the kidney and the relationships and the stenosis of a renal artery for hypertension and so on, when you're visualizing it, then whatever you say makes sense and the knowledge then, the, the experience becomes powerful.
0: This entire thing makes so much sense, right? Because ultrasound is applied anatomy, you know? And so you can actually see the value of anatomy when you when you see the value of the ultrasound. And, and same with physiology, like if you see a Doppler of the heart, oh, okay, I can see if you don't get the right pressure volume loop, the heart's just sort of quivering and I can see that now. And so that all makes sense. I think that's a lovely example.
1: And even, you know, central venous catheterizations, which is the gold standard, it makes so much more sense for a student to visualize it than then just reading it on a book. And when you have that picture in your mind, typically you will not
0: forget it. I mean, it stays for you for life also shows you a lot of, or teaches a lot of respect, I think, for the ultrasonographers, for the EKG techs, like all the people that are kind of bringing these assets to you. Like when you get to kind of understand them more deeply, you're like, wow, is that artifact or is that pathology? (laughs) And so you start understanding how good it is, like if you have someone good, like how valuable that is on the team, of course.
1: Yeah, And professionalism, I think uh, performing it on a standardized patient you're really on a professional behavior, and and you do everything. You know, so there are many lessons out of that. I think uh, exposure, which is geared towards primary care, is geared also obviously towards specialties, uh, but um, it's a powerful tool, to say the least.
0: Yeah. So I guess you know we're a teaching company. We like to fill knowledge gaps. I'm just curious: is there anything? any topic that you'd like to educate us on that you think that our general public kind of just doesn't know enough about, it could be related to the university or to medical teaching in general. Anything that you've come across that you'd like to share?
1: I think osmosis personally is one of my favorite. You know, always I will go to a YouTube and try to to see some things. I think you're explaining so well the pathophysiology of certain things. I believe one potential element, it's which I mentioned it a little bit before, it's to create um, what are the best practices for a student to learn. I think create a couple of nice animations and videos that you do so well to give to any student, you know, some tips that, you know, spacing, interleaving, uh, the different theories that we have developed or we have learned from the psychologist. And really, they are important for retaining knowledge, short term and long term. Um, they will be really spot on because many of our students and many many of the parents, they don't know exactly what options the students have available. And maybe sometimes they are, they're they talking from their experience, which is limited because when I studied back then, those theories, they were not um, part of the everyday knowledge. So um, I think you can hit a spot, I think, very specific that we could all direct our students, oh, before you start medical school, why don't you watch this osmosis video, which is so important to show you that they are, let's say, 10 different tools that you can learn better and more efficient than materials for a short and long-term memory. I think that totally. you know, and and it applies to everything, doesn't apply only to medicine, it applies to engineering, applies to history, to load, everywhere.
0: So first of all, thank you for the praise coming from you. That's very meaningful and, and very kind we do have a course i'm going to send you as a link uh on how to teach and learn like that. that our team put together that does cover some of this but i want you to you know give me feedback uh based on what you see when i send it to you uh afterwards and, and see if it kind of meets the need you know your your career is fascinating, right? The language you speak is a language that I that I know a lot of our students will understand. You know, in terms of thinking about clinical medicine and, and basic sciences and, and all the rest. And yet, you're also doing something that's really profound. You're, you're changing lives and and shaping the way that people actually learn in a high need area, which is primary care. And so, any advice you can offer students that may be coming out and saying like, "Hey, you know, this person, meaning you, ha- has a really interesting career." How do they get there and and what should I be thinking about now?
1: Yeah, so uh, medicine for me, it's a way of living. You constantly have to be optimistic, love of humanity. You need really to love what you do. Uh, Medicine is not about the money, about the prestige, about the glory. It can be part, I think, sometimes of uh, who we are, but it's not the reason that uh, 99% of the physicians, they chose that pathway. I think there is nothing more fulfilling to ease the pain of a patient or to see somebody who is sick to be healthy again and continue their life and live for many, many years. I think that feeling is powerful and humbling at the same time. So I think they need to be exposed before they start medicine to see is really what they like. Speak with a lot of doctors. Uh, Be optimistic. It's part of the job. You have to be very, very optimistic. And, you know, on a happy side, that means the glass is always half full. It's never half empty. And you need to love your fellow humans. I mean, that's the whole point, that um, you're here to treat patients. And when you treat patients, the, the patients, they're in the pain. They can be angry. They can be depressed. They, and and you need to love waking up in the morning and you want to go to the hospital or to your clinic and treat those people. That's something, you know, that... Um, I had it since I was a kid, so it totally fit me, the, the medicine. Now, somebody will say, but you're an administrator. I think the relationship here, it's the level of the impact you can have. I think being a doctor, you can treat one patient and a couple of patients, even several patients during the day. Being a dean in a medical school, you can affect the lives of thousands of doctors or students that they will become doctors, how they can become better doctors, how you can influence the health care. I think the impact is the difference that I was looking for always. Uh, how it can make the a bigger impact to improve things uh, in a larger scale. And that's why it's something that I love because I can see, I can see the outcomes. So, for example, something small, introducing an ultrasound in our curriculum for the last 10 years and we're talking for at least five six thousand students they got an experience and they got a tool and a skill that definitely has improved the way that they are treating their patients that kind of scalable response that's very intrigued for me that's why it's fascinating and we try to see how we can improve the healthcare system in in a large scale and we, we're a big school i mean we have a lot of students so that's a step up
0: Totally. No, that's wonderful. And and a huge, huge impact that you're making. So thank you for sharing that, uh, that advice and probably a good note to end on. So thank you so much for being with us today and, and sharing your insights. That was wonderful. Thank you very much, Rishi. It's always good to see you. I'm Rishi Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together.